So let me go ahead and just pray, thank God, and then uh, we'll turn things over to Josh. So let's pray. Father, I thank you again for um, just all that you've done for us, that you have uh, provided and met needs that uh, we didn't even know were in need, that even though we've um, significantly cut expenses, I thank you for uh, the leadership and the wisdom that you've give them, uh, given them in that area uh, to be able to help um, us. And, um, and thank you for the loan that we were able to get and, and, and uh, that it would be a grant and that we wouldn't have to pay any of that back and, um, and that we would use that money uh, for your honor and your glory as we continue uh, to move forward, as we start having conversations of when we'll be uh, meeting again and, and all those different things and what that looks like. And so, God, there's a lot of unknowns, uh, but you are king. You are sovereign. You are Lord. You are seated on your throne. You're not pacing, walking around, wondering what's going to happen to Hope Community Church. Uh, you're in control and you're good. And we love you. And we just pray that you'd receive the honor and glory uh, that is due your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, so again, let me turn this over to Josh. Uh, a lot of you uh, know him, just if you've been around Lower Town at all. If you haven't been, if you're just checking us out online, uh, he's a friend we met, I don't know, probably pretty much, I don't know, it was probably three, four years ago, I guess. Five years. Oh, five, okay, five years ago. Um, up at a men's retreat, actually, a Men of Hope, a Men of Hope thing. That's a, a crazy story in of itself, which we won't get into. Um, but anyways, glad to have Josh here. He's been a, a great uh, help and friend and ally. And uh, so anyways, when I let him, let him take over and, and he's going to jump in. So just don't mind the awkward switching of the chairs here. So thanks. Uh, so hello to everyone at Hope Community Church of Lower Town. Uh, as Brian said, uh, my name is Josh Daramola. I'm an elder in training here at Hope Community Church Lower Town. Um, and so I know some of you and I don't know some of you. So a little bit about me so you can get to know me. Um, I'm married to Katie. Uh, so Katie and I have been married for four years now. And we have two little girls, uh, Hattie and Kezi. Uh, Hattie and Kezi are wonderful. Uh, they're delightful. Just any um, positive adjective that I can think to describe them applies, unless it's bedtime, in which case they can be a little bit ornery and they can be feisty. Especially our youngest, Kezi, she has a fierce independence streak, which is wonderful, except for when it's nine o'clock and she's refusing to sleep. Uh, so I've been at Hope Community Church for uh, Lower Town for about three years now. Um, so since Hope Community Church started in August, Katie and I have attended. So it'll be three years in August. Uh, and this means that we've spent about 75% of our marriage at Hope Community Church Lower Town, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, I'm from the Twin Cities area, so I grew up in Mount Zoo, Minnesota. So as you can see, I'm at Pastor Brian's house in Shoreview, and Mount Zoo is about 10 minutes west of here where I grew up. Uh, so I lived there for the first 18 years of my life. I went to Irondale High School in um, New Brighton, and after I graduated Irondale, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So I'm a Badger, uh, go Badgers, but don't worry, I'm also a Gopher. I went to the University of Minnesota for grad school where I got my master's of social work. Uh, and after I graduated Madison, so going back to undergrad, I did a year of mission work with crew in South America and Uruguay. And that's actually how I met Katie. I will lean into the mic more. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm new to this and this is a little rock man mic stand and sorry if you couldn't hear me. So. Uh, let's see, picking up where I was at. Um, I did a year of mission work with crew uh, in South America, which is how I met my wife, Katie. Um, I like to joke and tell people that we met in South America and Uruguay. Uh, that's not actually true. Uh, we met in Colum not in Columbia Heights. We met in St. Louis Park 
in Minnesota. Um, so not as romantic as the South American capital. Uh, and after I was done with my year of mission work at Crew, I taught at a charter school in North Minneapolis for about three years. Uh, and then I went to grad school. And then now I work for the public defender's office in Ramsey County. Uh, one more thing about me. I grew up in an African uh, church. So I went to a Nigerian American church and it was a black church. And that context was a lot different than Hope. Uh, the faces uh, that I saw at church looked different than the faces I see at Hope. And also the songs that we sung. Um, so the first two songs that we sung were, were songs from my childhood. So uh, do, not let, do Not Pass Me By and Come Let Us Worship were two songs that we sang a lot at church growing up. And so you hear a little bit more about my experience uh, growing up in a black church, and then also even some more about my teaching experience as I go through my sermon. Uh, so before I dive in, now that I'm close enough to the microphone and everyone can hear me, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Psalm 44, and we're going to read our passage for today. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. Uh, God, I thank you for this Sunday that you've given us. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that I have to preach to help Community Church Lower Town. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak. And Lord, I pray that Psalm 44, Lord, would, would speak to us and that your truth from your word would speak to us. And Lord, that we would apply this truth to our lives, Lord, and that Psalm 44 would move us into action and that it would move us into gospel action. Uh, so Lord, I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So I'm going to read Psalm 44 for us, and then we'll walk through the passage, and then we'll get to application and some other things. Uh, so I've got my Bible here. So Psalm 44. Oh, God. We have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from them, from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and my shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. 
Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and depression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So that's Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 is commonly categorized as a community lament. And this lament specifically in Psalm 44 is expressed by an individual on behalf of his community. So this individual is in some position of authority. You know, maybe he's a king, maybe he's a representative or a magistrate or he's something, but he's in some position of authority. And so as we look at the context of this passage, it's most likely after a military defeat. Um, so it's most likely after these people have seen another defeat in battle. And this is something that's common in a lot of the community laments and Psalms. So a lot of the context is after military defeats or things like that. But the themes and the emotions that we see expressed in Psalm 44, they reflect our current situation. They reflect the current hurt and bitterness and brokenness that we see in our world. So even though we might not currently be in, you know, a pitched military battle with, uh, you know, with spears as we might have seen um, in the ancient Near East, the reflections and the things that this this spokesperson is crying out to God with, they reflect our current and our present situation. So as we look at the beginning of the passage, we see that things are going well for the community. And in the first eight verses, they are victorious. We see a community that is seeing victory and they're seeing, you know, advancement over their enemies. So as we read in verse two, we read, you with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. And so we see a community, like I said, that's just seeing victory and that is seeing God at the, at the fore. But even in verse 6, we see um, that this, this spokesperson, he doesn't forget where the victory comes from, and he doesn't forget who goes before them. So in Psalm 44, verse 6, we read, for not, in my own, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever, Selah. And so in those first eight verses, we see, a vic we see a victorious community, and we see a community that is really seeing just a lot of positive things. But the spokesperson doesn't forget who is the source of these things. And so he says, God is the one who is providing victory, and God is the one who goes before. And we see this other places in scripture. We see it in Ephesians in reference to salvation. And we see in Ephesians 2 that we're saved through grace. It's not anything that we've done in ourselves. And the verse even says it's a gift of God so that no man can boast. And so the psalmist doesn't forget where victory comes from and doesn't forget who is the source of all things. And so those first eight verses, they're positive. And then we move into verses 9 through 22, and we see a shift in what is happening. And so in verse 9, we read, but you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. And so this is a marked shift. It goes from victory and it goes from advancement over enemies. And then we see the peoples being scattered and we see them being defeated and we see them in despair. And so in verses 9 through 22, we see the spokesperson for the people lament, and he cries out to God about the situation of his people. And he can't understand why things are happening. 
He can't understand why the people are facing suffering, they're facing enslavement, they're being scattered among the nations, and they're facing utter ruin. We even see the psalmist outline how the people have stayed faithful to God. So verse 17 and 18 say, All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from you. And so the spokesperson is saying, we are staying faithful to you, God. We are remaining your people, and yet we are experiencing suffering. And this idea of being sheep for the slaughter, we see it elsewhere in scripture, and we see it quoted in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. So Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all, those, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this is a, rem a reminder that our position in Christ doesn't exclude us from suffering. So belonging to God means that we can expect to face suffering in this life. As Romans 8, 35 through 39 outlines, there's a whole host of things that try and separate us from God's love, but nothing can separate us from God's love. So we, we can expect to face suffering in this life. And on the other hand as well, we should not be so callous to the suffering of others, and we can't ignore the suffering of others. So we ourselves, even though we're rooted in position in Christ, we face suffering. And this is true of everyone else, all of God's image bearers. We face suffering in this life because this world isn't functioning as it was intended. So we have Psalm 44, verses 1 through 8. We have victory and we have positivity and we have a community that is, that is rejoicing in God. And then we see verses 9 through 22. We see a community that is experiencing defeat and despair and a community that is crying out to God and trying to understand, God, why are we suffering? And they're lamenting. They're just crying out to God in grief. And this spokesperson is expressing that grief on behalf of the community. And then we go to verses 23 through 26. And we see the psalmist making his plea to the Lord. So Psalm 23 through 26 reads, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the, fake, for the sake of your steadfast love. And so the psalmist, he makes his plea to the Lord here. So he recaps the pitiful situation of his people. And then he cries out to the only one who can help the people in their plight. And the only one, as he says, who can redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And we see a thread in Psalm 44. So from verse 1 all the way through verse 26, we see that this spokesperson cries out to the Lord. When things are going well and things are, are looking positive for the community, he doesn't forget to attribute these things to God. And he's very frank and very clear that God goes before this community and God is the source of their victory. And then as we move on from verses 9 through 22, we see him crying out to God and we see him expressing his his indignation and his lack of understanding at the suffering. 
And then in verse 23 uh, through 26, we see him making his plea to the Lord. So at all points in Psalm 44, we see crying out to God. And he is the one who he goes to when things are good. And he's the one who he goes to when things are going poorly. And like I said, Psalm 44 is a community lament. And as your leadership here at Hope Community Church, so Brian, Paul, and myself, uh, we've really spent the last few weeks encouraging you to lean into this concept of lament. And I think it's fair for us to take a step back and to dig into what this really means and why we felt the need to encourage you to lament. I mean, in looking at Brian's sermons and Paul's sermons and encouraging us to sit and reflect and, and to lean into this concept, um, I think it's fair to ask why we've, why we've done this. And so looking at a definition of lament, uh, so theologian Soong Chan Ra explains in his book, Prophetic Lament, that in the Bible, lament is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering, and lament engages God in the context of pain and suffering. And so he further explains that lamenting is to express indignation, and even outrage about the experience of suffering. And if we look at Psalm 44, we see the spokesperson expressing indignation, we see him expressing outrage, and we see him expressing these two things about the experience of suffering. We see him crying out, and we see him not even understanding why they are suffering, expressing indignation and outrage about this. And I think here I want to acknowledge something, Hope Community Church Lower Town. These last four weeks, they may have felt frustrating. It may have felt like we've been on the sidelines as Hope Community Church Lower Town while the situation seemingly cries out for any sort of action from us as the church. But I also want to encourage you and I want you to take heart. See, prayer is a vital and it's a necessary step for us to take. As we examine our hearts, uh, we can repent of sin and we can take the first steps that we need to to radically change the way that we live. And I want to make this clear. The work that we need to do in this area it's impossible apart from the gospel and understanding who we are in Christ. If we are not firmly rooted in our position in Christ, and if we are not acting out of a gospel charge, then what we are called to do is impossible. We can't do it on our own. Like we see in Psalm 44, verse 6, For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. And so we can't trust in our own power. We can't trust in our own strength. We need to trust in our position in Christ and in the gospel to move forward in biblical action. And I think there's another reality to our frustration and what we've been feeling here. This frustration that may have been only three or four weeks for some of us has been a reality for 400 years of some fellow image bearers. And I think for some of us, we're finally really understanding what racial injustice looks like in America. And we're thinking to ourselves, we see this injustice and we see this fallen and broken world and we're asking ourselves, how can we approach the situation biblically? And Dr. Eric Mason in his book, Woke Church, he really lays out this concept well. And so he takes the concept of being woke, which in some circles can be a pejorative and can be a negative, and he redefines it for those of us who are Christ followers. And he says, being truly woke is rooted in Christ consciousness. Our Christ consciousness elevates our awareness to our responsibility to care for and love our brothers, even those who don't look like us. And like I said, that's from his book, Woke Church. And so this idea that we see, we see suffering and we're expressing indignation and outrage of this suffering. And at the same time, we recognize that because of our context as Hope Community Church, the suffering might look different and the people might look different than us because of the composition of our congregation. 
And so I think as we look at lamenting and as we look at suffering and we look at outrage and we look at expressing indignation, we need to take a step back and think about how we got here as the church. And so I mentioned, um, I went to the University of Wisconsin. I was a religious studies major. And I spent a lot of time in history as a religious studies major, a lot of time in ancient Near East history. Um, I got to take a bunch of classics and mythology classes, which meant I got to take classes where I read, you know, mythological stories that I loved as a kid for college credit, which is the best. And if I'm being honest, uh, history is probably one of my first passions. As I was preparing the sermon, I was going to say history is my first passion, but that's not actually true. Uh, the first thing that I can really remember being passionate about is sports. Uh, and for those of you who know me, you know that I love sports and I love all sorts of sports. When I was in third grade, uh, the Duke Blue Devils played the Connecticut Huskies in the national championship game. So this was 1999, I believe. And I was nine years old and I loved Duke, which growing up in our house was a bit problematic because, as I said, it's the Duke Blue Devils. And growing up in a Nigerian-American church, the idea of the devil is already dicey. And a college team with devil in its name, it was not set up for success. But we worked through it, and I was able to cheer for Duke, you know, as this nine-year-old third grader. Now, remember, it was a national championship game, and Duke lost. And I was absolutely distraught that Duke lost. I cried. I told my mom that I wasn't going to school. I felt so sad, and I just felt so, like, torn up over Duke losing. And I remember my mom sat me down and she reminded me of two things. Uh, first, that I didn't really have the authority to unilaterally decide that I wasn't going to school. So I was, in fact, going to school on Tuesday morning. And second, she reminded me that, uh, that sports weren't that important. And I, I tell that story just as an aside. Um, but like I said, sports, one of the things that I love. Uh, but I also really enjoy and I'm passionate about history. And so as we look at history and we take a step back, when we examine American history, there's a lot of instances and a lot of things that have led us to where we are at as the American church. So if we go back 401 years, we go to 1619, we see that that's the beginning of chattel slavery in America. And we have accounts of enslaved individuals being brought to what would later become America. And we see chattel slavery woven into the fabric of what is America. And alongside chattel slavery being woven into the fabric of America, we also see lament and we see grief and we see crying. We see black image bearers crying out to God and we see people not recognizing that the black people were full image bearers. We have Puritans preaching on ships to enslaved individuals and not even thinking for a second about the possible inherent contradiction of what they were doing. And if we fast forward a hundred years or so, um, we get to 1740 where certain laws were passed that restricted the ability of black individuals to gather. And once again, we see lament and we see crying out because we see image bearers being denied the ability to fully express who they are. I mean, socially, but also in terms of worship. And then we look at historical figures. Uh, we look at George Whitfield and we look at Jonathan Edwards, um, two people who uh, Pastor Brian has spoken about previously. And as we see George Whitfield, we see somebody who endorsed slavery and he still preached the gospel. So he preached the gospel to enslaved individuals, but still profited from slavery and still participated in the slave system. And he owned slaves because it was economically profitable. And then we look at Jonathan Edwards. We see somebody who is a, a leading figure in the Great Awakening. We see somebody whose sermons are still quoted uh, a lot today. And we see that he also owned slaves. And similarly, it was economically profitable. We think about the reality of the fact that Jonathan Edwards was able to do a lot of the things he could do 
because he owned enslaved individuals. And so as we think about this, we think about slavery in the United States. We think stretching back from 1619 and all the way into the 17 and 1800s, the, the people were still able to enslave individuals and evangelize them. And they didn't really think too hard about the inherent contradiction of their actions, or even sit and think about if there was a contradiction in their actions. And as we move forward in our historical survey, we look at 1790 and the Baptist General Committee of Virginia. And they took this stance and they decided that slavery was a civil issue. So it wasn't a concern of the, de the denomination as a whole. And this stance led to the tacit, so kind of the passive acceptance of slavery in some instances, but then also the outright acceptance of slavery in a lot of Southern congregations. And in response to this, so in response to people being denied their dignity and being denied the reality that they were full image bearers, we have the formation of the African Methodist Episcopal Church um, shortly after this uh, committee. And it was formed by black individuals because they were not able to participate fully as image bearers in, in church. And as I mentioned, I taught for three years in, uh, in North Minneapolis. And so I, chartered, I taught at a charter school. And at that charter school, our school was actually attached to an African Methodist Episcopal church. And uh, one of the pastors, so Reverend Johnson, who was a wonderful woman, she was a pastor at the African Methodist Episcopal church. And she was also our family engagement coordinator. So I had the chance to sit in our office on various occasions if you know we had different needs for a student or different things. And just learning the history of the African Methodist Episcopal Church as a recent grad who was 23 or 24, it really rocked my world. And understanding why this congregation had to form and realizing that as the church, we, we sat things out and we said, you know what? We'll, we'll say it's a civil issue and we'll deny the fact that these people are full image bearers. And as we move forward, looking at the 1800s and realizing that there was increased tension in our country, and this issue was central to that. The idea that the church kind of sat things out again and was like, well, you know, slavery, it's more of a civil issue and it's not an issue that we need to address in the church. And this tacit endorsement of slavery in a lot of circles was detrimental. And thinking about how there were people who pushed for the idea of, of biblical equality and thinking about the fact that the Bible preaches that we are image bearers. And just thinking about how many in the church found this idea too radical. And then looking at more recently, the 1900s, thinking about how the church has refused to take stands on different things as well. So thinking about how we have Christian schools, colleges, and universities that sided with segregation and refused to integrate. And even some schools taking and adopting policies that discourage the mixing of races in their view. And I highlight these um, different historical, you know, dates and these different historical things as a reminder that we see compromise in a lot of circles from the American church. And also the reality that we might, we may not have personally participated in these things and in these atrocities, but we bear the legacy of these decisions. And thinking about you have 400 years of image bearers crying out and crying out in lament and crying out in suffering and expressing their, their indignation and their grief to God. We have the church ignoring the call to join in this suffering and ignoring the call to look at the suffering of, of people who might not look like them. And this Hope Community Church, see, this is why we lament. Because we need to recognize it as believers that what's happening has a historical nature and we see brokenness in our cities, in our state, in our nation, and in our world. 
And as Dr. Ross says, lamenting is to express indignation and even outrage about the experience of suffering. And I think another quote is instructive here, and it comes from Eric Mason, again from Woke Church. And he says, when the realities of a fallen world hit us, we need room to worship the Lord in honest expressions of unedited grief. And if I were to title Psalm 44, I would title it Unedited Grief. It's honest, unedited grief. We see this representative crying out to God. And at times it feels like he's challenging God and he's even questioning God's authority or questioning God's character. And this is an honest expression of unedited grief. And we need the space to do this. And we need the space to worship the Lord in this. And then thinking about what I've said before, that some of our fellow image bearers, they've been living this reality for four centuries. And I think unfortunately as the church, we've turned a blind eye to this suffering and chosen the comfort of our own silos over joining in the suffering of our fellow brothers and sisters. And we've ignored the call and the charge that we have to join in and share one another's burdens. And I think as Hope Community Church Lowertown, we need to be willing to do some deep self-reflection and ask ourselves why it's taken over 400 years for there to be this level of outrage and indignation from the church regarding this issue. And there's a whole host of things that we can lament over. We can lament over the church's complicity, whether in you know passive or actively in chattel slavery. We can look at the church's refusal to take a stand against segregation and other things. We can look at the church prioritizing comfort over joining in the suffering of image bearers, even if they didn't look like us. And this is why we lament. As Eric Mason says, lament is honest expressions of unedited grief. And as a church, we might not understand. We can look back and we can say, we don't understand why these decisions were made. But we bear the legacy of these decisions. And they still affect and inform us to today. And that's why we lament. That's why we go to God and we express indignation and outrage about the experience of suffering. And we might, under, we might not understand this experience, but we recognize this experience. And we see this experience in our world. And we join in this experience. And we join in the experience of people who might not look like us or who are in a different context. So as I draw to a close, I've got two final quotations. Um, the first is a quote from Francis Grimke, who was a preacher. And the second is actually a prayer of lament um, that comes from a Pass the Mic podcast. Uh, so I'll read the quote from uh, Francis Grimke, and then I'll read the prayer. Um, it's just, a, it's a lament, and it's, it's an expression of unedited grief. And then I'll close this in prayer, and then we'll continue with uh, communion and worship. So here's the quote from uh, Francis Grimke. And just to set the context of this quote, um, the name of the book that it comes from is 50 Years of Freedom. So it comes from 1915, and it's 50 years after 1865. So after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Civil War, it's 50 years of reflection and 50 years of, of looking at what the Black experience is in America after 50 years of freedom. And I think that the words and uh, the ideas expressed are very instructive for us today. So here's the first quote. And now just a word more. The struggle before us is a long and hard one, but with faith in God and faith in ourselves, an indomitable perseverance and the purpose to do right, in spite of the forces that are arrayed against us, we need have no fears as to the ultimate result. Success is sure to crown our efforts. We are not always going to be behind. We are not always going to be discriminated against. We are not always going to be denied our rights. 
For a sojourner, truth said, God is not dead. And someday, in his own good time, the right will triumph. As the poet has expressed it, right is right since God is God, and right the day will win. Like I said, that comes from Francis J. Grimke, and that his book is titled 50 Years of Freedom. And then here's our second quote. It comes from Jamar Tisby, and it's titled The Prayer of Lament for This Moment. And like I said, lament, it's that unedited and honest expression of grief, and it's expressing indignation and outrage over the experience of suffering. And this is what Jamar Tisby is doing, and I think as Hope Community Church that we can listen and we can take heed of his words. So his prayer says, Lord, Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, how long? And that's a question I think many of us are asking. How long, O Lord, will we see black unarmed women and men killed on camera? How long will the perpetrators go free without a criminal charge? How long will we protest in the streets and be met with a militarized police force seeking to violently repress us? How long, O oh Lord, will we have to hear the rebuttals of people who just don't understand and saying that the issue is really something else when the issue is racism and injustice? How long, O oh Lord, will this COVID-19 disproportionately impact black and brown people and those we consider essential workers, but those who don't treat us as essential on a normal day-to-day -day basis? How long, O oh Lord, will we have to have podcasts like this where we are pouring out our hearts and grief into a microphone, hoping people will listen and respond in a positive way? How long, O oh Lord? In God, we don't have the answers, and the reality is we're not in control. And that feeling, Lord, of helplessness makes it feel like walking through a valley, a valley in the shadow of death. Oh God, we pray for your presence. We pray, Lord, that in the midst of this darkness in this valley, in the midst of the pressure and the weight of that question, how long, that you would be right beside us and that your rod and your staff would comfort us. Not because the problems have gone away, but because you have shown up. So show up with us, please, Lord. Please bring healing, bring justice, bring comfort, O oh God, in this moment. We are your children and you are our loving father. And we hold up your promises to you and beg and plead, Lord, for relief. So I pray that anyone listening to this would feel that relief even in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit coming to remind us. How long? Not long. And in the midst of it, you are right there with us. You know exactly what it's like. Your arm is around our shoulders. We can lean our heads on you. We can weep. We can be silent. We can speak. But you are right there. Thank you for being there, Lord. Bring us healing in Jesus' name. And now I'll close this with prayer before we enter into his time of communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. And Lord, I thank you for your words in Psalm 44. And Lord, I thank you for lament. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that we can come to you, Lord, with honest expressions of unedited grief, Lord, and that we can express indignation and outrage about the experience of suffering in our world. And Lord, I pray that you would move us to lament as Hope Community Church Lower Town, Lord, that we would look at the brokenness and the fallenness of our world, Lord, and that we would look at the experiences of suffering that we see in our world, Lord, and that we would join in that experience, Lord, and that we would look to you and that we would cry out to you, Lord, and that we would remember ultimately, Lord, that you are the only one who can heal this broken world. And God, that as we feel called to move into action, Lord, that we need to be rooted in our position in you, Lord, and we need to be rooted in the gospel. And that is the only way, Lord, that we can affect change. So Lord, I thank you again for this time. And Lord, I pray that your words in Psalm 44 would continue to speak to us and Lord, that they would move us to godly action. And I ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen.